Hi, my name is Harrison Baker. I'm an actor, songwriter, and business owner based here in New York City. Through these different creative industries, I've come across some of the most fascinating minds of our time. Artists, actors, and creative entrepreneurs have inspired me with their wisdom and insight. So I've rounded up everyone I can find and brought them here to discuss hustling hard, what it takes to make it in their respective career paths, and maybe even their spiritual journeys. I hope you enjoy. Hailing from Atlanta, Georgia, Isabel Furman is an actress who made herself nationally recognized at the age of only 12 years old. Playing the titular character in the horror feature film, Orphan, Isabel quickly made a name for herself. She's gone on to star in films and television, All the Wilderness, Dear Eleanor, One Night, Masters of Sex, oh, and The Hunger Games, just to name a few. Now, at the age of 21 years old, Isabel boasts an impressive resume, starring opposite actors like John Cusack, Jennifer Lawrence, and Will Smith. But wait, she's also a world-class runner. Isabel is part of an exclusive team of nationally ranked runners who are sponsored by Nike. She runs marathons, competes in triathlons, and endorses charities. Sorry if I'm not making sense. No, you are, yeah. Sweet. She, she endorses all of these different charities and is running every day of her life, waking up at 2 a.m. to go on runs. <laughs> 5 a.m. <laughs> if you're interested in her athletic endeavors, you can follow her on Instagram because she has cultivated this kind of community of fellow runners, and I really love that. Oh, thank you. I first met Isabel when our mutual best friend, Luca Bella. Beautiful Luca Bella, sunshine. <laughs> ray of sunshine to the world. Announced that Isabel was coming to stay with us. I knew nothing of this girl except that she played Esther in the movie Orphan. And honestly, that <laughs> concerned me a little bit. I wondered if she had a lot of pent up aggression and if I was going to get stabbed in the middle of the night. <laughs> Didn't want to sleep in the same house with me. Mm-hmm. Let alone it being a uh, studio apartment. <laughs> a studio apartment in New York City. But she quickly quelled my nerves. She's that special person that makes every experience more enjoyable just by being there. She's the additional guacamole that you get at Chipotle. thank you. I love being compared to guacamole. I (laughs) love it. She's that extra resonance of laughter that you need to fully fill out that house party. And smile, she makes me... Right now, I'm a little bit nervous, but... Normally, I'm just excited. Don't be nervous. We're going to have a great time. I'm just excited to catch up with you. I know. Literally, that's all we're doing. Yeah, really. Catching up plus me probing into your past, which is a little weird, but... It's good. It's good. We're going to really bond some more. (laughs) Really bond some more. (laughs) Okay. If you want to find Isabel, well, you're in luck. She has a campaign with Nike called Go Getter. Yes. Which launches tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow or the day after. I do they have they don't, you know, they don't keep me up to tabs on all these, but I just do know it has to go out today uh, tomorrow or the day after because I have runs that I'm doing all across um, LA right when I get back. So and I'm your gonna, face is gonna be plastered on billboards. No, somewhere. I'm gonna be on a bus driving around oh. and collecting people to go on like runs. You know, basically the idea is like wherever you're going wherever you are in your life like sometimes you just have to hit pause and like do something and um to go after things that you want to do even if it's just in the middle of the day so we're gonna be driving around on this bus and like getting people to climb aboard and giving them shoes and giving them athletic wear and just like seeing if we can interrupt someone's day and make them do something good for themselves wait you yourself are going to be on a bus yeah 
For how many days? Oh, is that for how many days? I'm just going to do it. So it's um, it's on the Nike Run Club app. You can like sign up. And so I'll be uh, I'll be on that bus and we'll go someplace and we'll go run together. Okay, so people can literally come find you. Yeah, literally. That's cool. Yeah. I did not realize. Cool. Part of the fun, right? Yes. And let me finish plugging you. So if you want to find Isabel, you can find her on a bus literally <laughs> and hang out with her. That's dope. She is a great person to hang out with. Or you can watch her in the YouTube original series, The Edge of 17. Yes. Well, we just shot the pilot, so hopefully it gets picked up. I think it will, but you okay. never know. If it gets picked, it better get fucking picked up. That was a great <laughs> movie. And you can also watch her in another movie that will hopefully be released everywhere called Tape. Yes. Which we're going to talk about, and I'm really excited to talk about. I'm very excited to talk about it, too. Where do we begin? Where, well, I don't know. Where do we begin? Where do you want to begin? Hmm. We could start with Tape. We're here. Okay, let's start, let's with, start tape. with tape. Yeah. So you're still working on tape. No, well, so tape. We finished finished uh, tape. I've shot tape last year, earlier in the year, and then um, there's like pre-production stuff that you continue to do on a movie, basically until it's done. I mean, no, it's really funny because movies will like not be finished until right before they're released. <laughs> but yeah, so I I just did some some work on it today a little bit, but um, it's a really special film. So. I'm confused. You shot the whole movie, but what were you doing today? Today we were doing ADR. So that's like movie speak for if there's something missing in the audio, you go back in and you record it later. And it's really funny because it's like a year and a half later and I'm not at all in my costume or in the same mental space that I was when I was filming certain parts. So you just kind of have to like sit back into it for a little bit and... um and try and remember where you were to like match. You match your lips from what you said in like a movie. If it's not, if it doesn't sound crisp enough for the sound designer, because they want everything to sound really nice and beautiful when the movie's on a big screen in the theater. Because you would rather have someone go, "Oh, I understood what was said. Maybe it sounded like it was not exactly the same." But most people don't notice. But um, but then then seeing like a, a movie and feeling a, a line was just like a little mumbled or not exactly. You couldn't really understand what they were saying. Yeah, so I think that this is something that people that are not actors don't understand. Yeah. Acting is maybe, I think, maybe one of the most misunderstood industries. Of course, I think everything is misunderstood. <laughs> everything is kind of stereotyped and generalized. Yeah. But I think people think, oh, you show up, you're pretty, you get paid. Yeah. I mean, this movie was like a really small budget. I mean, we filmed it in 12 days, which is kind of unheard of for a full-length feature. We had... One of our days, uh, one of, like our last day of filming was a 24-hour day, which is which they figured out, but it's not technically legal. Um, but they figured it out <laughs> because we had to finish that day, the last day we had that lo- location that we could film at. Um, and so, you know, it's it's one of those things where I think people look at, you know, the film industry and what they see is very glamorous. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing quite like getting dressed up to go to a party with all these incredible actors that you look up to and getting to walk around and be like, wow, here I am. But that's just like one night out of out of many that you spend like at home working online doing research reading books going out and trying out for jobs i mean most of my job is trying out for jobs is going on job interviews and being rejected because there's so many people and there's so few parts and so you're just going out there trying to make sure that you're doing the best job that you can and there's so many other factors besides just like doing a great audition that can come into play like how you look and whether or not you have the right amount of followers which is really funny because that's become like a big part of the industry itself and then you know then you have the days where you work which is like that's like the cherry on top like getting to go to work every single day with other actors and like creatively sit in spaces with them and like work on a film and experience those moments like that is so much fun but that's not even like 
I think that's maybe 10% of my job, which is really funny when you think about it. Yeah, that's, that is interesting. Yeah, but it is really great. And I, I love having those, those moments. There's something about going in aud- auditions that I really like because there's like a heartbeat in your chest sort of anxiety that you feel. Okay, like, well, this says a lot about your character. Yeah. So this probably like bleeds into the, the athletic part of you. Yeah. Because I am scared shitless of... Of the auditioning process. Really? I hate it. I think I've always loved meeting new people. So that's a big part of it. And I think also, I think the my anxiety for auditions went away when I stopped looking at them as me going into a room and asking somebody to like me. It was more so me going into a room and putting forth a performance that I felt proud of, but was still open to like play around with. And you don't always get auditions where the people in the room are willing to like work with you on stuff. Sometimes you're just not what they're looking for and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's really fun when you have those rare auditions where you go in and somebody sees what you've brought to the table and is like, how can we play with this and let's have some fun. And when you have those sorts of auditions, it's like, it doesn't really even matter if you don't get the job because you get Mm -hmm. to have this kind of experience of like deciding who this character is and figuring out who, who they are in these sorts of moments. And it's like a, I don't know, it's like a, it's like a workout, you know, <laughs> you feel really good afterwards. Um, and just getting able, being able to get the job, I think is, is exciting because you get to dive deeper into it. And hopefully you really like the people that you auditioned with. I mean, I've, I've worked with some really incredible people, which I've been really lucky to do. Yeah. So you, you really have been all over Hollywood. I mean, I would, I would say that Ram you, town. <laughs> you've been, you've been you up and down the streets. No, I'm kidding. As a, as a serious actor, you've, you've been everywhere I could think of, uh, showtime movies. What haven't you done? You've even done voiceovers, right? Yeah. And, and theater and theater. And theater. Yes. Hello. Duh. And I remember when you auditioned for Janice Ian on Mean Girls and did not get it. I know. I so wanted that part. Well, Mean Girls, because Mean Girls is like my, one of my favorite movies. So like, wouldn't that be cool to be on Broadway in the musical? But Uh, like, it's such a good show. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't seen it. It's so good. Ironically, I'm going to have a girl on this show who's the Janice Ian character wears her, her fashion design. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. So my question is you've, you've really been around Hollywood. I mean, you've been in it since 10 years old. So I was, I started, I guess when I was like eight and then 10 was when I did orphan. That was kind of like the, that was the big moment where it was like, Oh, I have to actually just decide if I, if, well, not decide if my mom, my mom, I had to beg my mom and dad to basically move me to Los Angeles, which was um, a very hard sell at 10. But I think also it was because my sister was always kind of like going up and down on what she wanted to do and went back and forth between sports. And, and um, you know, as a parent, it's like you want to support your kids best you can. But also it's very often we as kids decide we want to do something and change our minds. So yes. I think my parents were pretty apprehensive about the fact that I might change my mind, but I haven't clearly. It's been a while. I still love doing it. In preparing for this interview, I watched interviews that you did on Orphan, oh, which yeah. was strange and cool and, and awesome to see you as a kid. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know that person, that little baby. I know, uh, yeah. But you were so composed and like you really gave me that Dakota Fanning, you know, like 
really composed intellectual child star mm-hmm. who's like not going to screw up their life, who's just going to treat this with respect and dignity. Where do you think that came from at such a young age? I think I've always been, you know, just, I, I think when I look back now, I feel like I took myself way too seriously, which is really funny to say when you're a kid. Um, I, I still feel like I had a really great childhood, but I feel like I did take myself very seriously. I was like, this is a job and I have a very important job. And, and now I look back and kind of laugh at those interviews because I'm like, yeah, I look very composed and very mature, but I was not mature. I was not composed. I was just a kid. But like, that's what you have to, you feel like you have to kind of be that sort of, like you said, like someone who's not going to screw up their life later in life. And that's something that is, it's funny because it's really been something that I've carried with me even now um, in my life every single day where I'm so concerned that someone's going to think that I'm going to go off the rails. And the funny thing is, I know that I'm not. I'm like past the point of that sort of thing being, be, you know what I like mean? Like now if you go off the rails, you're just being a 20-year-old, so. Yeah, I mean, but it's but it's true. It's funny. It's like, you know, going out and having a drink with your friends is not a big deal. No. It's not a problem. But for some reason, I still feel uncomfortable saying that it's something that I am doing, even though I am legally old enough to go have a drink. And that's just because I think there is such a stigma around being a child actor and that you are going to screw up your life mm. because you grew up too fast or something. And I think in a sense, it's almost the fear of that that caused a lot of uh, stress for me when I was younger because I was so afraid that I was going to do something that would someone would see and be like, oh, well, that's not okay. That's not good. That's somebody who's going off the rails that I just really kind of like held myself back in a lot of ways. And I think it was only up until this past year that I really was just like, who cares? <laughs> I was like, who cares? Like I should be able to go out and have fun with my friends and not worry about it. And I know myself and I'm not going to go wild and go crazy. Like I still, I'm still such a grandma. Like my idea of a wild night, I'm like home by like 1230 and I'm taking a bath before I go to bed. Like no matter what I do when I go out, I always like want to be home to have a bath and read like a chapter of a book before I go to sleep, well, which is so funny. <laughs> that's my kind of diagnosis and read on you watching these interviews. I mean, I literally only watched them today, but I I was like, I think you're just a really smart person. And I think just from a young age, you're just, you were just smart. So you wanted to be with adults and be mature and you acted appropriately. I think my mom also raised my sister and I that adults were not somebody, that were not people to be feared. And um, you could listen, you have to listen to adults and you have to take what they say is very important because they're older and they know better, but you should always be able to question things and you should always feel comfortable to ask them why. And you should always feel comfortable to like treat them as, as you would want to be treated like as a person and not in a disrespectful way, just in a way that's like, you know, we're both people like I'm curious. Um, and I think that that really has been a very helpful thing in my life because I did make a lot of adult friends when I was younger and, and I did, I've never really felt like uncomfortable to talk about something with somebody because my mom raised me in such a way to be open to asking questions and to, you know, to be forward about what I need, you know? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) yeah go mom so you're 12 years old you become a sensation (laughs) i mean you do your your face is literally all over the united Mm -hmm. states or all over the world maybe i don't know it had international release probably right yeah yeah and and i'm sure you're getting treated a certain way which is probably nice right but 
because you went you ended up going to school right you I went to regular to school, school yeah. yeah I think that was a big part of it like okay when I I was at regular school so being in a movie at regular school was not seen as something cool it was kind of like people were making fun of me because my face was on the jumbotron at the Laker game oh really and <laughs> I remember being embarrassed I was like oh my gosh like at home I was so proud and like so excited about it and I would talk to my mom about it but I remember at school there was this kid who came to school with a mug with my face on it Shut and up. I was mortified. I was just mortified because like when you're like all I wanted was like for 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 it to just be something that that you know the the people would go see but I didn't really expect that people my age would be interested in mm. it because I was 13, you know, when the, I mean the movie came out when I was 12 so it was like 12 13. Um and it's actually really funny when I first went to see the movie. The movie came out and my family we went to see it um, in theaters, and I look very different in the movie than I do in real life, or at least I think so, but nobody recognized me when I went to see it at all. <laughs> and I went with this boy that I had a big crush on, and I was really excited, and like, <laughs> he stood up at the end of the movie during the credits, and he was like, this is her, this is the girl from The Orphan, and I just remembered being like, I don't like him anymore. I was like, that's it. I was like, this is done. I will never have a crush on you ever again. Because I, it wasn't really like what I necessarily wanted from that. I just wanted people to like enjoy the movie. Um, I wanted to have like a regular life. I think that's what it was. Like I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be able to have friends that didn't look at me because of what I did. Like to me, it was like I'm in school and this is like my after school activity. Okay. Unless I was working, then I was working all the time. And then I was like, oh, I can come back and hang out with my friends. But my life was very much centered around like my school life and my friends and that sort of thing in my education. And acting was just something that I always loved to do. And I knew that it could be a job for me potentially, but getting an education was really important and having friends that weren't Can't. just in the industry. <laughs> Can't relate. If I was like a movie star, I'd be like, mom, take me out of school. I never want to go back there. I so didn't want to be homeschooled. It was the last thing that I wanted. And you weren't. And I wasn't, no, no. I was so nervous about about what that would be like because the people that I knew that were homeschooled, they just had a very different view on how things were because you, you weren't around like other teenagers and there was something about being in that environment that I really loved. It made me feel connected to people, which is something that I've always, I always, I've always really loved people just in general. I mean, that's part of what I love about my job is being able to like be other people. Well, I'm very glad that happened because that's how you <laughs> met Luca Bella and yes. we literally would not be sitting here if you were homeschooled. Yes, Luca Bella was my assigned friend because, <laughs> because the school thought that I clearly needed more friends. And I'm so glad they assigned Luca to be my friend because it's funny, my two best friends from Buckley, the really the people that I keep in touch with, are my two assigned friends, which is Luca Bella and Lizzie Pritzker. So Those, they got that right. Yeah, they, they assigned you the right They friends. assigned me the right people. Yeah, I love them. Um, so. so you do Orphan at it comes out at 12. When do you do Hunger Games? Hunger Games I did when I was 14. I did not realize how young you were. I was really young. Again, very mature. <laughs> you come off as older in that movie. It was it was funny. I really, you know, of course, Hunger Games was a massive book. Everybody was reading it. I was reading it. I loved that book. And I auditioned for Prim and for Katniss. And, <laughs> and they couldn't figure out where to put me because I kind of fell in between. I wasn't 16 like Katniss and I wasn't 12 like Prim. So, um, and Clove was, I think, supposed to be 18 or something like that. And they had no idea sort of like where to place me. And I remember they sent me an audition for Clove and I just was like, all right, I'm going to go for it. And they called me the next day and we're like, you got the job. <laughs> well, girl, let's get down to it. You, yeah. Clove and Esther, two characters that have a lot of aggression. Yeah. Where are you drawing this from? <laughs> I don't know. What is inside? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think what was really funny is I, I think the reason why 
actors who are very, I think, empathetic are really good at playing villains. And this is just from my observation of other actors and what I would say about myself is I didn't view Esther as a bad person. Like the things that she did were very wrong. But I always, when I first read the script and I was like, I was like 10 when I filmed it. So when I read the script, I remember going to my mom and I was like, she just wants to be loved. And my mom was like, <laughs> this is crazy. Like, Let's get yeah. you therapy <laughs> My mom yesterday. was like, this is crazy. Um, but I just saw exactly what she really wanted. And I think with the Hunger Games, it was the same thing. I mean, you could look at Clove as like, yeah, she's this murderous person who's been training for this. But if you think about it, it's like she's been training for this game her entire life. And her life, her literal life is on the line. Um, and... And the whole thing kind of becomes a game. And when you put people in an environment like that, like I remember when I was doing research, I watched Battle Royale, which is like a very famous Japanese film. Yes, that you know, is supposedly based off of or inspired by. Mm-hmm. And I read like Lord of the Flies. Like I really wanted to kind of understand what that survival instinct is like. And in and especially with, you know, young people, like you're, you're talking about kids that are doing these horrible things. And di- our director, Gary Ross, had us watch Clockwork Orange and had us watch, um, had us watch Clockwork Orange and talked to us a lot about how he wanted us to be like, these are like schoolyard brawls. Like these are not like, the, yes, they've been trained to do all these things, but they're not you know, assassins or world-class killers. There are people that have been trained to protect themselves against these sorts of things. And like the clockwork orange aspect of it is like, they find this fun. Like this is what they've been raised to do in their districts, like district one and two specifically. It was like, they're the careers because they've been raised to have fun while they're doing this. And that's what makes it entertaining for the people of the capital. So it was really cool to kind of dive into that in a different sort of perspective than with Orphan. So you're 14. You're in what grade? What grade is 14? I finished eighth grade. You yeah. finished eighth grade. And during the summer, they fly you down to North Carolina? Yeah, yeah. It was really funny. I actually had to take my exams like two weeks early. So I was like cramming, 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 studying, studying, because I was transferring to Stanford to that to the program that I did, which was not technically homeschool, but I guess it almost sort of was for my high school um, sort of thing. And so that was, I was cramming for my exams. I took my exams. I left school two weeks early. Nobody knew where I went cause I couldn't talk about it and started training like immediately and was training for like eight hours a day. Wow. It was amazing. It was so cool. I had never worked with that many young people too. So it, we really became this like family. We were all on these crazy diets so we could either gain muscle or like look leaner and more muscular. Um, depending on what our body types were. And Girl, so you're hanging out with Josh Hutcherson. Hello. <laughs> Hello. I saw an interview where he had his arm around you. I was like, what happened there? Nothing happened there. But I actually, I think I probably didn't even notice that he had his arm around me. I think there was so much Hunger Games fandom that it was like people thought that there was something going on between Josh and I. People also thought that my character and Alex Ludwig's character had like a romantic relationship, oh, which was never which was never established in the book or in <laughs> or in real life ever. That was like that was like what's fan fiction. He was like 19 and I was 14. Like oh no. like I was like boys, like you know what I mean? Like oh my my God. my previous crush on boys was just like I just want to look at them. You know what I mean? Like but but there was something about like he was like an adult. Like he was like uh was like, you know. No, no. <laughs> when you're 14, 19's old. <laughs> you're like he's old. <laughs> so now you've grown you've grown up, you've you're still in LA. Yeah. Do you like living in LA? I do like living in LA. I like living in LA with brief spurts of coming to New York. Um, I'm I, happy with that. I think, I, I mean, I would love to live in New York for, for longer periods of time. I have for like four or five months at a time. I find New York to be a great place to go to remind yourself that you are 
just a person in this big, beautiful world. And there's oh yeah, nobody so many... cares about you. Yeah, you're I love not, that. You're there's, not cool. You're, you're not normal. cool. You're normal. I love that about New York. Like New York is the type of place that's just like it's ha- it's always the same. The energy's always pulsing. You don't miss a beat when you come back here, but it never misses you. Yes. And and it's not upset that you went away. Um, LA is like one of those places where I I think there's a lot of emphasis on self care, which I think is a beautiful thing. I think there's a lot of creative energy there. I think there's not as much hustle in LA. And there's something about the hustle that I love in there's New York. There's you though, you're hustling and I, th- I here's the thing. People in LA who are hustling, it show like they're working. Yeah. They're like flying out on projects or meeting yeah. somebody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're hustling. I, I I really I really do hustle. You do. <laughs> I do. But that's cuz I also I also really like I like the hustle. It's fun. Clearly you've been doing it yeah. such a, So okay, let's talk about the hustle cuz that's kind of a theme of this. <laughs> the theme of the show. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Although listening. it is such a douchey kind of thing like hustling. But here's the thing, it's not. It's you're not, a young no. woman who's made a life for herself, who's made a living for herself mm-hmm. working. Yeah. That is fucking awesome. And that takes work. I mean, that's that's the thing is like, I think it's very easy to look at actors when they win awards or when they kind of get this recognition for one part and you're like, oh my God, they're from this movie. But there's so much that goes into it before that. And it's so much time and it's so much work that you have to put in. And, and that's that's what you have to do day in and day out is you have to constantly hold yourself accountable for the work that you're doing. And that's important. And a lot of people forget that. Like if you were to come visit me on a normal day, people are like, oh, you know, you're at home. You're not really working. It's like, no, I'm sitting on my computer or I'm reading a book or I'm reading a script or I'm taking notes or I'm doing research or I'm going out to a coffee meeting and talking about somebody about, with somebody about a project that we should be working on or, or I'm writing my own scripts or I'm writing my own content. Like, you know, you have to manage yourself. I think very much like a business. Absolutely. And to be clear, like, I don't think people don't understand. Yeah. You've made a name for yourself. You've done the work, but if you're not consistently showing up, if you're not calling your agent, um, following up, you know, all that shit, they're, they're, the team's not doing as much as people think they're doing. I mean, they do incredible things, but you really do have to make sure that you're, you know, you're on top of things. Like Mm -hmm. you're responding to emails, you're making sure that everybody is like on the same page. I think also, you know, it's it's important to to make sure that you know you you're very clear on what what you want from your career and that your team's on the same page as that and i think that that's like a really important thing is that everybody's working towards the same goal i think in any team whether that's in sports or whether that's in in any work environment you want to all be working on the same thing and and then that's really the case too for like film and tv like the only time the movies that you see that really turn out and look incredible, those are because you have a team of people all working towards the exact same goal and they all understand where they're going. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me. This is, this is something that I just evolve, like it keeps evolving in my Mm -hmm. mind, running a business and working in acting. Of course there's beautiful, creative Mm -hmm. artistry, but there's so many business aspects to it. And so many aspects that have to be run like a business. Yeah. Just like a, business can have a lot of artistry and it's, it's cool how they're kind of the same thing. I know. And it's, it's funny. I think I'm really good. I've recently, like just the past couple of years, I've gotten really good at time management, which is, Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of that actually came from running, which is really funny. Running helped me learn how to manage my time. Well, let's talk about this. How did you meet Nike? How did this happen? That was actually really funny. My friend, Tony Revolori, who's an actor, he invited me to go to a Nike 5k run with Kevin Hart. And that was the first time I'd, I always ran. I always loved running in school. Like it was the one thing I always felt like I could get better at because I, like, as I told you before, I'm not here. Like, 
like hand-eye coordination is just not for me. Like one foot in front of the other is like the most I can do. And I had won, I'd won awards in middle school sports that were like most inspirational player. Oh my God. (laughs) Which is basically like she had a big personality and was loud, which is, you know, makes sense. Makes sense for me. me, Makes sense though. Um, But when I was doing PE and I wasn't in normal um, like athletic sports, I would run the mile every single day. Um, And everyone hated it. And I loved it because it was cool to me that every single day I would get better at it. Or Mm. there was a day where I was worse at it. And I was like, oh, because I'm not feeling good today. There was something about it that I always really enjoyed. So I went to this 5K run and that was the first time I'd ever, I guess, really measured how far. I didn't know that that was you know, 3.2 miles. And I had a great time and I felt really good afterwards. And I just met, um, this woman, Nicole, who worked at Nike, who's now a really dear friend of mine. And she doesn't work in the same sort of like division in Nike, but it's such a big family there and there's so much support. And I think because I think they really liked the fact that I, I do wake up every day and run. Like it is something I do for myself. It's not something that I do for anybody else. I'm not the fastest runner. I'm not trying to be the fastest runner. It's just something that I enjoy. And I enjoy the fact that I can improve myself. And I, and I learn something new about myself every single run. And there's also something about disciplining yourself to do something every single day, whether you want to or not, that really teaches your mind to do things and, and focus on things that you have to get done. Do you feel that you'd be able to maintain that level of discipline uh, sans your team and your support system, or do you feel like that's integral to you? I think that's integral to me, yeah. Um, And I think just this past year, even like training for the marathon, that was something that really kind of changed a lot for me. And I think that a lot of people, like whether, whether or not you decide to run a marathon, I think everyone should take a marathon training plan and do a marathon training plan because there's something about spending 16 weeks focusing on something and on a goal and working on it every single day and really taking care of your body and making sure what you're eating is good for you, making sure that you're fueled up to like really give your all on these days that you really need to push yourself and watching yourself improve physically, mentally on a week to week basis and being able to quantify change that we don't really get to do. I think, you know, we, we change every single day, but we don't notice it until we look back weeks or months later. And there's something about being able to look at yourself from the previous week and go, oh my God, I've really grown. Mm. That allows you to realize that the steps that you're taking on a day-to-day basis, no matter how small they are, are making a massive difference in you. Well, and again, I think I'm really falling in love with this concept of team and and being, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Being accountable Mm -hmm. for your actions and for other people's, you know, showing up and stuff. Because I think going solo, it's so hard. I never really did team sports or anything. And I mm-hmm. think it's kind of just like, there's really something to be said about team atmosphere. And, well, everything is is a team. I think running, I always felt was a solo sport until I started really doing it. And then I realized it is a team sport. I mean, there. I think the one thing that every, every runner, no matter whether you're the fastest marathoner in the world or if you're the slowest runner in the world, we all understand and recognize that everybody's effort that they put in is completely up to them. And it's hard no matter what. Whether you are doing a workout and you feel like you can't finish it um, and then push through and do that and you're running like a 15-minute mile, it doesn't it doesn't matter because that's your barrier that you broke down. Okay. And there's nothing that keeps you running, honestly. Like, you have to keep yourself going. There's no, like, 45-minute limit on a class. You know what I mean? Like, you walk out your front door or you go on a treadmill and you decide when you want to stop. So there's something empowering about being able to say, like, I'm not going to stop until I am done. That really teaches you to push through your goals rather than to stop before you reach them. 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And also, I, it probably doesn't hurt that Nike has all of these really cool things. I always see you doing <laughs> some, like, insane thing. Uh-huh. Like, I don't know. Can you tell us? <laughs> oh, well, like, Nike Women's Marathon Project, I think that was, that was such an incredible present that they gave 35 women, myself included. They completely like trained us for the Chicago marathon. They supplied coaching, they supplied recovery. They, you know, they taught us about our bodies and like how to stretch ourselves properly, how to make sure we didn't get injured. And it was incredible because not only did I get to go along for this ride, but I made 34 incredible female friends. Yeah. I can Um, tell you were really close. Yeah. And so eight, uh, seven other, uh, seven of the women, including myself. So eight of us are doing a race at the end of, um, the end of March, March 29th, called the Speed Project, which is from Santa Monica to Las Vegas. And it's a 344-mile relay race. And so we're all going to be running like 48 miles a person that's if nobody gets injured, knock on wood. Yeah, seriously. Um, And so we're training for that right now. And um, that's something that Nike has been really supportive and helpful helpful with because, you know, they really brought us together and then we decided we wanted to do this together. Oh, you then you kind of cultivated Mm -hmm. that and moved on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about your projects. Yes. Tape. I you started telling me about yes, it before yeah. the show. It just seems so necessary. Please tell us about it. So, it tape is based off a true story and um it's about a young um young woman, a young actress who was coerced into having sex on tape with um a producer that she worked with. And um it's a very, very timely piece. It's a very, um, I think, a very important movie. And I think it also talks about the gray areas that people are so afraid to discuss when it comes to sexual assault, which is coercion. And it is a real it is a real issue. And I think what's great about the movie is it really shows what that process is and how, how those things can happen. Um, and I think that was like a, a really big, a, a big part of the reason why I wanted to be a part of the movie was because I think people still to this day question like, oh, well, how does that happen? And well, she said she wanted to do it or whatever, whatever excuses people come up with. And there, there's so many people who still don't quite understand. I think it's becoming, you know, more and more of a topic that people can speak about, but I think people are still very afraid to address it and talk about it. Do you want to hear something crazy, yeah. really synchronistic? I was with a friend before I came here and mm-hmm. we were talking about this exact thing. About coercion. How she had experienced something and yeah. it was in a gray area and she still doesn't know how she feels about it. Yeah. She, it's still so difficult to know where the line of being taken mm-hmm. advantage of was. So it's like, it's it's really a complicated discussion. It is. And, and, and that's what I really love about this movie is I think it really shows how complicated that is. Like what, what is consent? Like what is this gray area of consent that we have? I think people want it to be black and white, but it's not, and, and it can't be. And so, and a lot of times when the person who's, you know, the attacker, I, I, I don't even know what the right word is. They're mm-hmm. manipulating a lot of emotions. Yes. 100%. And that's a big part of the, of the film is like all of the, all of the lines that are said by the, the male actor in the film, Tarek Bashar is like incredibly talented, but his character is, is a real person that, that has not only done this to the woman who the story is based off of, but multiple other women. And, you know, the, the way that he kind of like went about, you know, the real person, not the actor, but the real, the real, you know, man who did this horrible thing, who's still out there. Like he's, he hasn't gone to jail. Like they haven't caught him, you know, the way that he went about it was in such a way that, you know, he had a reputation. People, people could look him up. Like it wasn't like he was nobody. 
and you have somebody who's out there who's taking advantage of this system and, you know, basically saying like, I can change your life. I can change your career. Yes. And, and it's, you know, we're not talking about, I think when, when I was reading the script and I had talked to a few people about it, they were like, oh, well, it's just this naive girl. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, that's, what's interesting about this is like the, the person who the story is based off of is a very smart woman who grew up in New York, who went to NYU, like graduated Tisch school, like super smart, just had a really tough time after she graduated getting a job. And that weighs on you. I think any actor can relate to like, you get to a point sometimes where you're going out for stuff all the time and you just feel like, why is nothing clicking? Why is nothing clicking? And at the right moment, somebody comes into your life and says, I can change your life, you know? And they prove to you that they can in minor ways and then take advantage of you and others. And so that's what the story is really about. And you, you know, cautionary tale to you know, whoever is listening, a lot of, there's so many empty promises in LA. I've experienced this, not to myself, but I have witnessed it absolutely firsthand Mm -hmm. of exactly what we're talking about. A lot of promises. There's so much gray air. There's so much manipulation. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's substances involved, alcohol or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And things get gray. And when people are put in Predators, there are intelligent predators who understand when their prey is at their most vulnerable. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So take. Yeah. It it will come out. Who directed it? Her name is Deborah Kampmeyer. And it's funny because she jokes that this is like, people are saying it's like a Me Too movie, but she's been making them for years. Like she's a very well known in the independent world um, female filmmaker who makes a lot of films about sexual assault. Um, she herself is a sexual assault survivor and she is absolutely incredible and made such an incredible safe space for us to film a movie in 12 days, you know, and, uh, and the movie is, is really beautiful. I, right now it's, it's hopefully going to go to a festival or it's going to get released, um, through another independent film company. I think, you know, the, 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 the future of it right now is a, is a question mark, but it will be seen and it is really special. So well, I please keep an you. eye out. This is beautiful work. This is Thank just, you. this is really great work. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it will get women and people talking. I think that's been the most incredible part about it is getting to sit down with people and watch the film with them and have conversations with women afterwards who all feel like it resonates really deeply with experiences they've gone through. Good. And then you have The Edge of Seventeen, which yeah. is another female protagonist. Yes. Strong, bold, yes, woman, <laughs> yes. Tell us, girl. Oh my gosh, Edge of Seventeen. I I got like this incredibly hilarious script written by Annabelle Oakes. Um, who, Did she write this? So film? Kelly Freeman Craig wrote the feature, and Annabelle wrote this TV show, kind of based off the same world. So it's very different characters. It's a very different story. Um, but uh, Annabelle worked on Transparent for years, and she's not only an, an incredible director, but she is a genius comedic writer. And um, just, I don't know, it was such a fun shoot. Liana Liberato um, is in it as well, the two of us. And you've worked with her before. I've worked with her on Dear Eleanor before, yeah. So it's it was a really incredible shoot. It's a super fun show. It's kind of like a sex in the city for young people. It's not shying away from any of the things that we actually deal with as teenagers. It's a very true depiction of high school. Um, it was really funny. Annabelle was like, I remember when I was like 16, I saw this TV show and this girl came out of a coma and her hair was perfect and her makeup was yeah. perfect. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me that I look like this? And I just spent an hour in front of the mirror trying to get ready for school. And this girl just woke up from a coma. She (laughs) looks beautiful. So we really wanted to make a, a, you know, a show 
that was like for our teenage selves. Love it. No, no token minority characters. No token minority characters. Like very, very true. Like depiction of you know Lou, which is Liana Liberato's character. Her parents are. It's based actually off of like a family that I think Annabelle knew, whose family was very religious, and they adopted kids from from Korea. And so her brother um, is played by this guy named Lance. He's hilarious. Um, and yeah, it's it's just incredible, incredible cast. Really, really great group of people and a very female-centric story. I hope story. this comes out. Girl, if you're going to be on YouTube, I will buy YouTube bread. I it, think it's it going to take... be available for everyone. That's, oh, that They just sweet. changed the whole thing. They changed the whole game. So, they're, yeah, I think instead of, like, just being a subscription-based, you, you'll be able to watch it. And oh, that's yeah, awesome. Everyone will be able to see it, which is great because, you know, and it's also, it's TVMA. So, it's it's, like... It's like eighth grade was rated R. You know, it's it's we're not shying away from anything. Oh, good. Everything, good. everything like, is in there. You yeah, flip and flip. flip yes, flop. yes. I, I remember when we were like <laughs> taught. We were we were sitting and rehearsing stuff, and we, we were talking. And um, you, you know, you get, when you're doing a comedy, you get to improv, you get to riff. And Lance was on his this Disney show for a long time, and he started saying stuff. And you know, he was like, "Can I curse?" And she was like, "Yes, of course you can curse. We're TVMA." He's like, and he's what like, "What is cursing?" He was like, "All right, <laughs> yeah, I know what is like cursing." Like a Disney like handler isn't gonna like kick down the door no, and like arrest no. you. Chris, as much as you want, you know? Okay, let's wrap up with the final three questions. Oh yes. Isabel Furman, what is your intention for the future of your career? For the future of my career and the future of my life. It's, yes. I girl. think my my life purpose is to make everyone in the world feel loved and important and special and thought of. And I think that I really want to do that through the movies that I work on, through the projects that I do, through whatever, like, you know, through this go-getter campaign, anything that I do, I really just want to make sure that people in the world understand that, like, we are, we are all here together on this planet and we should all really just spread positivity and light to each other. And the only way we can do that is by doing great things for ourselves in order to feel full enough that we can give to others. And so I want everyone to feel loved and cared for. And because, because I do a lot of stuff for myself. So that way I can feel that way to give it to others. Yeah. I like that. We didn't even mention Christian Siriano. We didn't One of know. your best friends yes. and an amazing, empowering fashion designer yes. who, who is changing the industry. Completely changing the industry. And you've been a part of some of his campaigns that have helped change the industry. Which is really incredible because we met on, I was his, his Biggest w- fan. You like a kid? No, so yeah, I was his biggest fan when he was on Project Runway. I wanted nothing more than him to dress me for my orphan premiere, and oh and God. I was like twelve. So like, what was he gonna do? Dress a twelve year old? He makes gowns for women. Yeah. But he messaged me on Instagram when I was fourteen, and uh, not Instagram on Twitter. I didn't have Instagram, and was like, Hey, do you want to come to my show? And I was I was literally walking to my bathtub holding my BlackBerry. That's how long ago. Yes. It was. Oh my. And God. I got this message on Twitter, and I dropped my phone, <laughs> and I was. Butt naked, screaming around my house, going, Mom! Christian Siriano just invited me to a show! Christian Siriano just invited me to a show! And I came to a show, and then, like, a few weeks later, I was in uh, New York for the uh, premiere of Hunger Games here. And we went to his house afterwards and like ate Chinese food and watched Dancing with the Stars. And that was when I think we really, we really became friends and, you've been and friends bonded. Ever since. We've been friends ever wow. since. Yeah. Wait, so are you telling me that you manifested Christian Siriano in your life? I manifested Christian Siriano like, in my life. Like you were in love with him and his designs and I was he him messaged for you. 
Shut up. I was him for Halloween. I send him the picture every Halloween. He always responds saying but, like, but he didn't you, know that you so were funny. He didn't even know that you were a fan. And then you message him. No, well he did because, well, because I was such a fan that every time I had an interview and they were like, who oh, are the shit. designers you like? I was like, Christian Siriano, that is ill. That is all. I like, that. I just really wanted him to know that I, I wanted him to know how much I loved him. I wanted him to feel loved and cared for. And but, then he messaged me and now we love each other. I think this says a lot about your character that of all the fashion designers that you could be, friends with, mm-hmm. that you have access to. You're friends with this person who is changing the industry, who cares about yes. inclusivity. That says a lot about your character. Yes. And, and I think that it's, it's funny because Christian always had this vision for himself, I think, since he was really young. And he won Project Runway when he was 24. Wow. So, you know, even from when, when I was like 14 and we were talking about, you know, his brand and his, like where he saw his brand going and all that sort of thing, you know, he was very much on, on that, you know, that direction. Like she, he knew, he knew his path. Like this was where he was going the entire time. Um, and I think that what's really incredible is that it's so difficult for a lot of people to get dressed in this industry. It really, really is. And especially as a young actor trying to get brands to dress you and, and this, and I'm, I'm not at all like, you know, I'm a white woman. Like, you know, I'm not, a. I, I mean, I am a woman, I guess I am a part of his inclusivity sort of thing, but not in, in the way that I think, but he messaged me from a very young age and was like, I want to be a part of a part of your journey and a part of your path. And I so appreciate that. And I think people like artists like that, that push each other up and bring each other up, like, like I said, positivity bring, breeds other positivity. And what he's really done is he dressed people like, you know, like Leslie who couldn't get a dress for, yeah. for the Golden Globes. He made, or whichever event it was, but he made her that beautiful dress and everyone's like paying attention to her as a fashion icon. And it's like, why wouldn't you pay attention to her as a fashion icon? Like, like there she, are plenty of women that look like Leslie, like that everywhere, all Hello. over the world who saw that. And were just like jaw to the floor. Like, this is incredible. Why, you know, why isn't this the case? And, and the thing is like, you know, breeding, making relationships like that with artists is like such a special thing to have because I know that every time I go to like an event, if I'm not wearing Christian and I'm wearing somebody else and I get ready and I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how I feel about this dress anymore. Or I'm second guessing it. I can always send him an email and he'll send me something right away because nice. not only is he an incredible designer, but he's like an incredible friend. Um, and he's always been there for me. And, and that's something that you don't forget. Like you really just don't, you know? Okay. I like that. Yeah. Positivity breeds positivity. If that is not the most Isabel Furman thing I've ever heard. But true positivity, you know what I mean? True, authentic, grounded. True, authentic positivity. I think there's a lot of faux positivity on Instagram that we look at and think that we want that and we want to aspire to have that. And I think that's really upsetting. I think true positivity comes from showing the real bits, like the real gory moments where you feel like, oh, this is kind of crappy, but I made my way out of it. And I saw the other side. And like we can all all understand from each other's struggles and each other's positivity. And to what you're saying, you and Christian's relationship is a, what, six, seven-year relationship? More than that. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah, he's known me since I was 14. And again, this is not fake LA friendships. This is two people who clicked, stayed friends, helped each other out. Like, this is real. Next question. Yes. There's your intention for your career, your hope for the world, which you kind of answered. Which I guess, yeah, I kind of answered. I think my my hope for the world right now actually is that people will start to listen to each other. I think that there is a lot of noise right now and a lot of people are talking and a lot of people are angry and a lot of people are pushing their, their agenda, their activism, everything. And there's so much noise that it's, it's really incredible how much information we have right now. And I think it's beautiful, but I think 
both sides need to listen. I think everybody needs to take a breath and just listen and understand and like form, form your opinion and, and make it even more interesting after listening. Cause I think that there's, there's a lot of different places where you can go for news and different places you can go, you know, and, and we need both sides to pay attention and listen. And it's really frustrating to me. I think it's like we have, it's, I was comparing it actually to, to like having a family get together. When I was thinking over Christmas, it was like when you have your entire family together, everybody, everybody's talking about their, their life for the past year. Nobody's really listening. And that's why there's all these arguments yes. when your family's together. And like, why is that the case? It's because nobody wants to listen. Like, we, we, you know, but when everybody does, it's a really beautiful conversation, whether you agree or don't, you know, and that's where real change happens is when we can like agree and disagree and talk about it in a logical way and make change. Snap to that. Yeah. It doesn't have to escalate to anger. So that's what I wish for the world is that everybody will that. listen, read, educate yourself, listen. Love it. And I'm just going to add this in. Yeah. When you do listen, sometimes you find out that those people who whose opinions you really, really didn't like, yeah. they might be coming from a place of fear or you they might really want to be heard and, yes. and their fears to be calmed. Mm-hmm. And you can also find a way to explain to them why why you feel a certain way. That's different. Yes, that too. Yeah. Preach. Yeah. Love it. Okay. Yeah. Final prayer. Non-religious, religious, anything. It's just how you want to end this show. Your final your final word. Final word. Ooh, I know you do this every single one. And I was thinking about it on my way. I'm like, what would I say is my final word? Um, I think my final word would be for everybody to, to do something for themselves today that makes them feel absolutely unstoppable. No matter whether it's writing in your journal or doing a five-minute meditation or going for a walk or seeing a best friend, whatever it is, like do something that makes you feel unstoppable and share that energy with somebody else. Yeah, that's what I would like to say. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Remember to come back next week when I speak with a new friend to figure out what makes their creative spirit grow. Thank you to NYU for hosting us. Thank you to my studio engineer. And thank you to you, the listener. I truly hope you learned something. If you want to keep up with any of my creative projects or to see what I'm up to, you can check out my website, harrisonvbaker.com or any of my social medias, which is just Harrison V. Baker.